I'm excited to uh, open up God's Word together this morning. If you would grab your copy of Scripture, pull up your Bible app on your device, however you uh, do your Bible intake. This morning we are finishing our series on the pillars that we've been doing uh, this year. These are sort of the foundational things that make up kind of the core of our church's identity, a little more specific than to glorify God, even though that is our purpose. And my hope and our hope is, is kind of by the end of this that you would be able to remember and recite from memory what our church's specific pillars are. So uh, do you know, do you remember the ones we've done so far if you've been here? Uh, I would say I probably know the, the kind of titles are them, but probably not the long explanation. Uh, but to kind of jog your memory, so far we've covered unapologetic preaching, proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology, unashamed adoration, lifting high the name of Jesus through worship, unceasing prayer, believing firmly in the power of prayer, and unafraid witness, sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. And this morning we're wrapping up with our last pillar, uncommon community uncommon community, devoting ourselves to authentic fellowship with one another. And if you were to uh, go on our website right now and kind of look up what we believe in all of that, our pillars would be on there. And the, the verse listed by uncommon community would be Acts 2.42. And a kind of helpful summary of what we're going after when we say fellowship, it says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. I think all people desire authenticity. I think all people desire authenticity to an extent, but perhaps now more than ever, our friends, our neighbors, our communities, our culture is seeking authenticity, is craving authentic relationships. But we know, and this is kind of our big idea this morning, where that authenticity actually comes from, and it's this, is to have authentic fellowship, we must emulate Christ in our interactions. And I want to simplify that even more to this sort of shorter, kind of pithy statement of authentic fellowship by imitating Christ. Authentic fellowship by imitating Christ that you can think of in this various kind of situations in your life. So if you take anything away from this morning, it's authentic fellowship by imitating Christ. That way, when you're at the uh, dinner table, you can think to yourself, authentic fellowship by imitating Christ. When you're here on Sunday morning, you can think, oh, what should I be doing? Authentic fellowship by imitating Christ. When you're at a wedding, wherever you are, right? Authentic fellowship by imitating Christ. Christ. That's what I want to spend the rest of our time this morning exploring is what does that mean? What does that look like? We're going to do that primarily by studying Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 to 17 if you want to turn there. And I'm going to be highlighting five different ways we ought to be like Christ in fellowship. And the first is to have his heart, two, share his peace, three, show his love, 
four, speak his words, and five, pursue his goal. When uh, Michelle and I first moved to the Madison area, it was uh, January 2020, which uh, is a great time to move to Wisconsin and to unload a U-Haul. So there was a few inches of snow on the ground, and um, I don't know if you guys know, Raymond Road, but there's a pretty kind of steep hill down, and it was pretty icy, and obviously not being around the area, we didn't know that at the time, so we were just kind of like sliding down that hill toward our um, apartment, and we had sort of this short list of churches to visit, and I think uh, similar to probably a lot of us, uh, one of the reasons we ended up here, there's other reasons, right, like the teaching and the kind of diversity of ages in, in our uh, body here, but one of the reasons we ended up here because of how friendly the church was and how loved we felt when we came. And I do believe this is part of who we are already in kind of the DNA of our church, and that's part of why it's one of our pillars. But I think there's a danger in that. I think there's really two dangers in that. One is that we would mistake going to a friendly church with I personally am good at fellowshipping or being friendly or being welcoming, right? That's one mistake we could make. And the other mistake might be um, kind of falling into the trap of comparison. Like if maybe our church or maybe we can think of other churches that are, that are less welcoming or maybe it feels like, you know, relatively we're a little more welcoming than other churches, that we would just stop there. We'd just stop at, maybe we're better than some other churches, instead of being the most authentic, most fellowshipping, most welcoming, most loving church that we can possibly be before God. And that's my heart this morning. And so uh, before we dive in, let's pray kind of to that end. Father, thank you for this time, for this morning, to study your word, to hear from you. We ask for your help reading, teaching, rightly understanding, and applying your word. We pray that it wouldn't return void, and knowing your promises, we know it won't, and that you would, through it, would go forth and do a work here in this place. Amen. Hopefully you've found your way by now to Colossians 3, starting in verse 12. Let me just read the passage before we dive in. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So the first thing we see in verse 12 is that first point, it's to we ought to have his heart. We need to have his heart if we're going to engage in authentic fellowship. The passage starts with, put on then. 
This idea of put off, put on is referenced in several places in scripture of kind of, this is the process of how we change. We put off, these are the things we ought to stop doing and put on things we ought to start doing. And so uh, when it says God's chosen ones put on this, it's saying us believers, this is something for us to do, for us to be, to have. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. There's so many things that we could say about these qualities, but I want to focus this morning specifically on how this interacts with our fellowship and the idea of authentic fellowship. We might easily, when we, when we think about our responsibilities towards one another, we think about those one another's and we think about what we ought to do, but more foundational than any of those things we ought to do is how we ought to think, how we ought to uh, care for, what is our desires for one another? What is our heart toward each other that our actions will flow out of? Compassion and patience and all these other things flow from a heart not seeking my own good, but seeking to serve. A heart that's not looking to be served, but to serve others. The Apostle Paul explains it this way in Philippians 2.3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. It's the desire, it's the heart for others' good above your own. This is the foundation of real, Christ-like, authentic fellowship. And I think we can see Right, how radically different, if we were all doing that, that would be than most of the interactions or most of the different things we do in our lives. Right? We spend most of our time, many of us, right, going to work where you receive a wage in exchange for producing a good or, or some sort of labor. Then you use those wages and you go to a store and you buy whatever that thing is you want. Social media influencers produce content for likes, subscriptions, and ultimately ad revenue and sponsorships, right? All of these things are transactional. And increasingly, our culture's personal relationships, friendships, marriages have become, if you don't make me happy, or if you're not meeting my needs, or you're not fulfilling these things, I'm going to cut you out, right? We, we're referencing cancel culture. And there's certainly um, times when that needs to take place, but we'd also probably say it goes over the top. But I give all those examples to say what we're called to do is radically different than that. Our community of brothers and sisters is supposed to be the opposite, not what do I want from you, but how can I serve others? Or how can I encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ? And what would that look like for our community? Our, what should our heart be in this place this morning? Maybe it's some people walk through these doors that uh, maybe they're a little dirty. Maybe they smell. Maybe they haven't had a shower in a while. Maybe they don't respect all the sort of 
societal, cultural norms that we're used to, is our heart towards them compassion? Are we excited that they're here? Just as Christ's heart was for the lost sheep, do we have that same desire for people to come through those doors who are lost, who are confused, who are unsure of themselves, who are looking for meaning in their lives, looking for identity? Is our heart that everyone would experience the joy that we have felt, the freedom, the new life that we have in Christ? Are we wanting to spread that with others? Are we wanting others to experience that same joy? And how do you think of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Obviously, you know, some people you're closer with than others, um, but is it more like neutral? Like there are other people here and that's great, but I'm kind of doing my own thing, right? A lot of us aren't like, oh no, I... What a bummer that all these other people showed up, right? It's probably not a negative, but it's probably more like a neutral. Or are you seeking to serve them? But as you think about where you're currently at, how does that kind of stack up? Or how do you think that would compare to what Christ would think about them? And how do we get from point A to point B? How do you get from where you're at now to where you think Christ would think about them? Of course, we can't just think nice thoughts about others or just can't desire good things for them. We must also be prepared to do things for others, and that's part of our second point and kind of the rest of our points. Uh, But the second one is to share his peace. It's one of the things we do is we share his peace in authentic fellowship. If you look back at verse 15, we have this interesting phrase, let the peace of Christ rule and if you're like me, you're probably like, what, what is that about exactly? And I think it means this, is without sacrificing obedience to the commands and principles of God's word, we should relate in a way that facilitates and demonstrates peace. We should live in a way with one another that facilitates and demonstrates peace. In other words, peace should be more important than your preferences, Peace should be more important than your preferences. You may have seen it, you may have experienced this in, in other churches or with other people where uh, it seems like the exact opposite, that preferences are more important than anything, and they'll find anything to argue about, right? The, the carpet, the temperature, the service was too short, the service was too long, etc. right? Anything that kind of only serves to divide people in an attempt to get our way. And I'm thankful that we can uh, here have some nasty communion wafers once maybe, Uh, not today, (laughs) or have an old building, though it looks a lot better than it did, right? It's also not the super modern, sleek, kind of really attractive church building that's popular, right? I'm thankful that we can have these things and that none of us are saying I'm going to go somewhere else over this. It speaks to the maturity we have as a community not to be up in arms about it. Instead, we are peacemakers. We are peacemakers. One of the ways we share is peace is by being peacemakers. It also means we're problem solvers. Verse 13 says that we're to bear with one another and to forgive one another. And the basis of that is, in fact, how much Christ has forgiven us. 
We emulate Christ's forgiveness of us. It means it's the exact opposite of transactional, right? It's not about what they've done to me, but about what Christ has done for me. It's not about what they've done to me. It's about what Christ has done for me. To be Christian is in part to recognize that each of us fall short and each of us sin and inevitably sin against one another. Fellowship means to acknowledge our sins and ask forgiveness of one another. It also means granting forgiveness when someone asks. And I want to be really clear about what forgiveness means, because I think there's a lot of confusion about this exactly in our culture. And it's essentially, uh, when you forgive someone, you're essentially promising these three things. Uh, One is I won't bring this up again to this person's harm. Right? This is like the, the stereotypical like marriage bad argument, right? You're talking about today, right now in this place, you forgot to take the trash out. And instead of saying, oh, sorry, I'll, I'll do better next time, right? It's, well, last week you were mean to me, right? That's not forgiveness. That's ammunition. And I think we need a little less ammunition in relationships and a little more forgiveness, Right? We won't bring it up again to the person's harm. Two, I won't tell others that don't need to know. I won't gossip. Even, even via prayer request, right? Which is like the, the, the church kind of way of like, I'm gossiping, right? If it's something you need prayer about, there's a way to share it without gossiping about someone else. I think we, sometimes we just kind of slip it in there, right? And three, I won't dwell on it in my own mind. Even a little thing, if you stew on it for a long time, can feel like a really big thing. And forgiveness means we're trying not to dwell on it unnecessarily. Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean forgetting it ever happened. And I think we kind of know this intuitively, if you've ever heard that that phrase, forgive and forget, that Things that are done to us, especially big things, can't be forgotten. And I've often heard that that phrase comes from the Bible, and I think it comes out of what we were just talking about, of, of not kind of dwelling on it unnecessarily. But it, it actually comes from uh, 17th century, and there's a little bit of debate of, of what work it comes from. But uh, a lot of people think it actually comes from Shakespeare, In King Lear, King Lear actually delivers this line and says, you must bear with me. Pray you now, forget and forgive. I am old and foolish. Which isn't quite what we are going after. Uh, Shameless plug to read your Bible so you can tell the difference between Shakespeare and actually God's word, right? (laughs) One is really authoritative and one is not, even though Shakespeare, of course, was a good writer. But all that to say, have you, as far as it's dependent on you, made peace with the people in your spheres? So at work, at church, at home? Is there someone you need to ask forgiveness of? Or, equally as fun, is there someone you need to have a conversation with because of some sort of unresolved conflict or a place that you feel like you've been sinned against? 
we're peacemakers, we're problem solvers, and we are thankful. At the end of verse 15, it almost feels like Paul snuck it in there. And be thankful. A little discontentment or envy can lead to a lot of strife and robs you of a lot of joy. And not just you personally, but the community that you are in. Right? I mean, all of us have been around people that complain a lot. I was trying to think of a, um, a movie character that we would all know uh, that kind of illustrates this point. And I thought of, of uh, Bella from the Twilight series, uh, who isn't everyone's favorite because of how much she complains, or Sam from the Transformers, who is also complaining a lot. But I think the king is in the Star Wars prequel trilogy, which I think is less popular than the originals, in large part because the young Anakin Skywalker is always just complaining, right? He's complaining about his mentor, about the council, his own kind of job performance, down to, like, the texture of sand, right? Like, he's complaining about literally everything, right? And so when you're watching those movies, it's just kind of like, besides the cringy romance, it's kind of like, every time he complains, you're just kind of like, right? That's what happens when you're in community. A little bit of that, a little bit of discontentment and envy can poison kind of the whole experience for the community. But, but, it's also hard to be envious or hard to be discontent if you're thankful for everything you have. And when you practice thankfulness and you find yourself content with what you have, then you're free to serve others, right? Because you're not looking for anything from them. You're not looking to get anything from them. You're free to serve them like Christ served you. And so what rhythms have you built into your life to remind you to be thankful And how would you kind of rate yourself at this point, right? Do you feel pretty discontent, pretty envious? Or do you feel like you're at a place of thankfulness for everything God is doing in your life? Or maybe in a moment of complaining at the right time, we can help each other turn to thankfulness. Um, And that's part of number three is to show his love. Authentic fellowship. When we're doing authentic fellowship, we show his love. Look back at Verse 14, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Here, love is not uh, infatuation. It's not a fuzzy feeling, but it's an act of selflessness and service toward one another. People naturally drift apart. We need something to bind us together. We've all experienced this, right? Relationships, whatever it is, takes work to keep up with someone, and you move away, and and people you're close with, you just drift apart. No one one kind of intentionally does it. It just kind of happens. We intentionally move towards kind of disunity or or moving apart, and we need something to bind us together, and that Christ-like love is what binds us, what, what binds us together in harmony, specifically how we show Christ likeness in serving one another. In John 13, Christ washed his disciples' feet. I think uh, a lot of us have, have heard of this story before. And this uh, is servant work, and certainly not something that a rabbi would ever do. 
But after he finishes doing it, he explains why he does it. In John 13, verses 14 through 15, it says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. You also should do just as I have done to you. Is Jesus talking about literally feet washing, that we should come together on Sunday mornings and we should get a bunch of basins and be washing each other's feet? No, he's talking about the heart that we have for one another, that we should love one another, kind of by definition is to serve one another. And without that service, there is no love. Or we are fooling ourselves if we say we love one another without serving one another. 1 Peter 4.10 makes a similar statement. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God has given us all various gifts of various kinds, and fellowship means using those gifts to serve one another. could be serving here formally on Sundays, which In fact, I would go so far as to say, uh, barring some sort of extenuating circumstance, we should be all doing something like that to contribute. It doesn't have to be every week. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, in every sort of way. But we'd love to help you find that spot. And I think the the most important part is, especially if you don't know what you want to do or how or whatever it is, just to try and, and kind of go from there. We'd love to help you find it, but it starts with just try something. But maybe you're handy and can help others in their home, you know, outside of Sunday morning. Maybe you can cook, and um, when people are sick or, or having a baby or, or just different things, you can cook a meal for them. Maybe you have no talent whatsoever, but you have money, then, right, that can be deployed in a lot of different ways to serve a lot of different people. Maybe you can't cook, but you have somewhere to live, and you can invite someone for a snowy supper, maybe, and take them and get takeout, since you can't cook, right? <laughs> the point is, we all have gifts, and, and a true authentic community and true fellowship means using, deploying those gifts to serve one another. And so, kind of one, take inventory. What are your gifts? Not just your kind of skills, but time and... and uh, uh, resources, but, and then how can you use those gifts? How can you deploy those gifts to show the love of Christ to others? That's part of what it means to authentically fellowship. And one kind of gift we all have, if you're a believer in this room, is your testimony of how God brought you to faith, a certain knowledge of the gospel. And so part of what we're called in fellowship and using our gifts is to speak his words. That's our kind of fourth facet of authentic fellowship. It's part of authentic fellowship is speaking his words. Look back at verse 16. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts toward God. That's part of what we're doing this morning, right? We're, we're singing together. I'm attempting to teach you something. Hopefully you've caught on to that by now. Uh, so we're on the right track. But... What about the rest of the week? Like how are you doing at speaking his words to one another the rest of the week? I think Paul in this passage has several good kind of commands for us here. And one is to dwell on his word. 
I don't know if we often think about it this way, but regularly dwelling on God's word helps us to fellowship authentically. I don't, I don't think we often link those things. Dwelling on God's words, helping us to fellowship authentically. Because if you are going to admonish with all wisdom and teach in all wisdom, how are you going to do that if you yourself are not being made more wise through God's word? How are you going to teach and admonish in wisdom without being made wise through the word? Shout out to the Dwell app, right? If the, if the kind of subpoint is dwell on his word, I can't, would, it would be beyond me to fail to mention the Dwell app, which I've, I've been using this, uh, this year for my Bible through the year, kind of reading along with them. If you don't know, it's, a, it's a, an app that, that, uh, that reads uh, the Bible scripture to you, and reading along has, has really helped me slow down. Uh, my friend Rosie with the uh, British accent were like this, and all I know about her is that she can read well, and she's from the UK presumably, or she has a British accent. Um, if you don't know, you can kind of pick, pick different voices on the app, and Rosie is one of the the ESV translation ones. Anyway, Rosie probably reads like four to five times slower out loud than I do in my head. And so kind of reading along with her has helped me to kind of slow down and meditate and apply and, and pray over and dwell on what I am reading. And so if that would be helpful for you, uh, it's not too late to sign up. You can just shoot me an email this week and I'll get you taken care of. Uh, we also don't do this every year, but just kind of having the, the Bible through a year plan that a lot of us are going through has been uh, super encouraging. I can talk about it with my wife, and we kind of have read the same things uh, every morning. I can go into the office, and uh, Pastor Dave and Garrett have also read the same thing that morning. And it's just been, it's been cool to share, hey, this is what I got of this morning's reading and to hear their thoughts. But you don't have to be reading the exact same thing to do that for one another. So talk about what you're reading and learning with others. That's one of the kind of second things Paul says here is to teach and admonish one another. Um, some of us are, are at the level where we probably should be teaching a class or, or should be mentoring or discipling someone or doing more in that way. But I think for a lot of us, teaching throughout the week just looks like, and, and teaching and fellowship is just, I was reading this book or, or this passage and I got this out of it, and it was really helpful, and this is why, right? Like, you can do that. It's basically read the word so that you're actually learning something, and then share what you're learning with someone else. That's it. That's all you have to do. And then whoever you share with will probably say, like, oh, oh, I was, was learning this in my reading, and then suddenly uh, everyone is, is kind of being enriched by the application of God's word. That's kind of the teaching, teaching part. Admonishment isn't quite the same. Uh, it's more like a, a warning. Just as Christ warns us, like, hey, the, this path you're on, these are the, these are the consequences, or this is, this is where that path leads. Just as Christ warns us, we ought to display that same love and kind of warn others. Admonishment means loving each other, and authentic fellowship means loving each other enough to say, 
Hey, I've, I've noticed you uh, complaining a lot lately, and it kind of feels like we don't, we don't move on to trust. Or, hey, have you, you noticed you have been doing this lately? Or, uh, hey, I noticed you, you used to, to do this, and, and uh, I haven't seen you do that in a while. Or, or I heard you say this, and I, I'm not sure that means what you think it means. Or, or I see you saying this, but you're actually kind of like doing this and this in your life. And, and that when I try to put those things together, right, like that math ain't mathin' sort of thing, right? Something like that. Maybe not, maybe not exactly like that, but some, something like that, some sort of warning is what we're after. But of course, there's kind of two sides to this coin, right? So one is being willing to warn others. And are you ready to be warned by someone else? To humbly consider it when it comes, even if it's from an unexpected source, right? Like I'm, I'm expecting it from my, my friends and family, but, but if it comes even from an unexpected source, are you willing to consider it? And how many people have you given the license to say, hey, I know there's this thing I am kind of struggling with and I've been working on, but if you, if you see me do this or don't do this, right? Like I'm working on reading my Bible, if you, if you see me skip my Bible reading, can you say something? I'm, I'm spending too much time doom scrolling. If you see me doing that, can you say something? I'm spending too much money. I'm not being a good steward. If you see me doing that, can you say something, right? How many times have you given someone license or kind of enlisted the help of others in a particular struggle like that to kind of warn you, to admonish you, or give you that accountability? And how many people have you admonished or warned lately. Not that we're like looking out for people to admonish or not that we're like, it's a competition of how many, how many we can get. But like we were saying before, if you're around believers and we are all sinners, inevitably there will be opportunities to help one another in this way. And the real question is, do you take those opportunities? Or is it easier just to let them pass by? We admonish as we speak his words. And three, we sing praises. All right. We talked a lot about worship in this series, so I'm not going to stand on this point very long other than to say fellowship involves worshiping the one true God together. And the, the object of our worship, that we are all gathered here together to worship God, the most worthy of worship that could ever exist, that we could ever imagine in our minds, unites us together more than any other fact or facet can divide us. And that's what this last point is all about. Point five is to pursue his goal. Pursue his goal. If you want to look at verse 17, it says this, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything we do in, in Jesus' name, or, or another way to think about it, is to the glory of God or to please God. And when we're united in that purpose, it helps us to be unified in decisions. And so as a church family, when we're, we're all seeking to follow God's will and glorify him, we're headed in a similar direction. And, and even if it's not the exact same, at least we can get behind the motivation and the goal. Similarly, in a marriage, when both parties are believers and that, that shared purpose helps unify them and decisions of money and, and parenting and time and all of those important things. 
but it even extends to friends, small groups. That shared purpose and desire to please God helps us to do that, fulfill that mission, gives us meaning wherever we're with. That shared value creates unity, mutual commitment, support and encouragement to one another. It gives us a sense of belonging, allows us to be resilient in the face of adversity. But most importantly, it allows us, the church, to best accomplish that goal of doing everything to the glory of God, the goal that Christ uh, gave us. I want to uh, invite the worship team up now as I uh, kind of close us for this morning. Um, this past week, my uh, grandmother passed away. She was, she was 89. And um, sometimes I hesitate to announce these sorts of things from the, the pulpit, but it's also... Because we have such a loving church family, a lot of ways it's easier than, than kind of telling it 50 times to individuals when they're kind of asking about, you know, how we're doing and all of that. And, and we are doing well. Um, and I'm thankful the, the Lord helped me to, to kind of get everything done. And I was able to, to go down to Indiana for her funeral this week. Um, it, was on, it was on Friday. Um, and I was able to, to do a reading uh, during her service. And I chose... Several verses from John 12. It's when Christ is speaking of his own death to come and the purpose behind it. And it's been on my heart this weekend, and just as I was thinking about my, my message this morning, uh, I think it applies so well here to what we're talking about on this unified purpose. Uh, John chapter 12, verses 23 to 28, it says, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I'm going to key on that word about glory. It's going to mention it several times. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Christ's purpose in, in dying for us on the cross, yes, was so that if you confess that you're a sinner, if you believe in Christ's sacrifice for you on the cross for the forgiveness of sins and confess him as Lord, that you can be saved and you can be justified but it was also ultimately for his glory. And our purpose, our fellowship, is ultimately built upon this rock. We're called the body of Christ. And the reality is that this body would not exist if Jesus hadn't given up his earthly body for us on the cross. And we're able to have his heart and to share his peace and to show his love and to speak his words and pursue his goals. Ultimately, because of what Christ has done for us and because he did those things first for us. So we're uh, about to enter into a time of communion right after this. And 1 Corinthians 11.20 says, it's something we do together as a body because it's this corporate act of treasuring Christ. Because it's something uh, we do, we, we remember what Christ has done for us, that we practice uh, open communion. So uh, that means you don't have to be a member here or a regular attender. If you are 
a believer in Jesus Christ, then you're welcome to partake of communion with us. It also means uh, if you're not a believer, if you, if you haven't made that decision, we'd invite you to uh, make that this morning. Uh, but if you haven't yet, uh, I would just let the, the cup and the elements pass. Um, there's nothing magical about, about these like we were saying before. It's, it's a symbol that Jesus commanded us to remember what he has sacrificed for us. It's a sobering reminder of how much our sin costs that he had to die for us. But there's also lots of joy and excitement in it also represents the new life that we have found in him and the freedom of freedom of not no longer being enslaved to sin that Christ bought for us. And so uh, I'm going to pray to kind of close our time and then I'll invite the ushers to come forward and they're going to pass out the elements. Um, if you would grab yours and then hold on to them and then we'll come back together once everyone has them and, and take them together. So let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your Son and your Spirit that we might partake in true fellowship with you. Thank you for the work that you've already done in in many individuals here in this church body that so many of us have seen your love in this place and experienced authentic fellowship. Would you increase our true fellowship in this place and throughout this week? Help us to better and better display your glory to the word. I pray now for just our time as we prepare our hearts to take communion together. Father, I'm, I'm thankful that this is a corporate act and I'm thankful uh, that you've given us this to remember what you've done. Help us to be um, just more thankful for what it costs you and for the seriousness of our sin and, and to also increase our joy of the new life that we have and, and the new life that we found in you. We pray and, and ask all these things in the name of your son who died for us. Amen. <clears throat>